What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, coming to you with just 11 games left in the regular season. The Indiana Pacers, it's not been the year that any of us expected at the start of the year. 24 and 47, we sit now currently... 13th in the East, and we will hold that 13th spot. We've been officially eliminated from the playoffs as of today. So I think we can all kind of take a breath on uh, the fact that we'll be in the lottery, definitely in the lottery. It's just a matter of how far up the lottery we will be and where our pick falls. But let's talk about the last few days and the last week of Pacers basketball because been some mixed results. Obviously, a win against the Rockets, the most recent game, Prior to that, losses uh, versus Memphis and at Atlanta, where Trey Young lit us up early on in the game. And we came back to almost win, but fall short by three points. Um, Blown out by Memphis without Jar Morant, which was disappointing. And then a win against the team uh, of which we own their second round pick. Uh, So we've assisted in that second round pick being slightly higher by beating the Houston Rockets. Just me and you, Alex, today, and let's start with the win against Houston. Mixed feelings. Obviously, you like to see the team play well. You like to see the young guys play well. We'll talk about Goga in a second, but um, I think it's it's a good to see us bump this pick up to maybe 31, 32. It's, it's kind of similar to when we play the Cavs, isn't it? Like, yes, you want our pick to be better, but at the same time, you know, the other result doesn't hurt too much, right? So... The Cavs pick has been going up and up. Like, I'm a little bit worried about their chances of actually missing the playoffs at this rate, uh, but they got a big win today, so that helps. And then, yeah, like you said, the Rockets pick being 31st, it's good because the cap actually changes from a first-round pick to a second-round pick to what you can sign the player as. So if we're looking to trade that, it becomes valuable. And if teams want to get the first guy in the second round, like it's a valuable asset to have. So, yeah, it's good. And, and your man, Adam, your man, Goga Bataze, we have, we have to talk about him because – Look, we, I feel like we've been hard on him this year and at times rightfully so, of course. But this past, honestly, what do you say, like a week and a half? Yeah. He's been balling, man. He has been balling out. And it's good to see because, well, look, we all want him to succeed, especially you. You're the only man in the Southern Hemisphere with a <laughs> Bataze jersey. So I'll give you the floor on that one. I mean, it's it's so night and day with Goga. You, you look at, I'm just looking at his last five games on NBA.com right now. And the the game on the 3rd of March against Orlando, he played three minutes and got one rebound and one turnover. I mean, that... that, And if you then compare it to his last four games, it's night and day. It's really quite ridiculous to see the difference with him game to game. It's so inconsistent, so wildly inconsistent. And it's what you would expect from a first or second year player. This guy is entering his fourth year. He's about to wrap up his third year. This is the time where you start to see a guy show great consistency in his NBA career. If he's going to have a long NBA career, he will play next year. The the player option has been picked up or the team option has been picked up, but you look at his last four games, 20 points against Washington, six boards. um, But, you know, uh, obviously a, a reasonable performance against Cleveland, 15 points, nine boards. He had a steal and a block as well. So a reasonable performance there. San Antonio stuffed the stat sheet. I mean, he got 10.7 rebounds and two assists, uh, four blocks in that game as well against San Antonio. Then in the win against Houston, 
career high, 23 points and nine rebounds, three assists, three steals and one block. I mean, you always talk about confidence players and Goga is a confidence player. He is probably one of the most stark examples of a confidence player out there. If he is playing well, then he will, or if he if he starts well, he will play really well that game and he'll have very few of those brain fades that he has where he commits a bad foul or commits a bad turnover or plays a bad possession on defense. He will be locked in. Whereas if he starts poorly, then it is very difficult for him to be able to then pick up later in the game and play well. He he tends to drop his head. He tends to get frustrated. He'll commit the bad foul. He'll have the bad turnover. He'll let the guy by on defense. I mean, Alex, this is what you expect from an 18 year old. This guy's, you know, uh, 21 now and he, you know, 2023 now he's born in 1999. So he's going to be 23 in July. You expect by this point in a guy's career that he can get those sorts of bad, you know, inconsistencies and mistakes out of his game and be more consistent, but it's just kind of hasn't come together for Goga, but did the last week and a half give you any pause to his future on this team or the fact that he's, you know, going to be more than trade bait or a throw into a trade this off season and a, and a good contract number to be able to throw into a trade? Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because, I mean, they picked up his options, so I, they wouldn't have done that if they didn't see some sort of future, at least where he's maybe there, but... To me, I think Jalen Smith's situation is probably the biggest question mark with him. If if we're able to re-sign Jalen, then, I mean, I'm putting Isaiah over him. Miles healthy would be over Goga. Jalen's over Goga still, in my opinion. Like, So I, it just, I don't really know where he fits. It would be, you know, similar to the start of the season when we were healthy and he was getting no minutes. So, look, uh, to me, I, I still struggle to see Goga on the team opening night next season. But look, even if they are looking to trade him, this helps, right? Like, keep playing him. I hope he keeps balling. And I hope teams are watching him put up these numbers because, you know, you, you throw him in a trade. We've talked about trading the the picks. You know, if you throw him with those picks, maybe you can move up. Or, you know, maybe a team wants to take a chance on a big man who, uh, who only has one year, so it's low risk, high reward, right? Yeah, I mean, he's at nearly $5 million a year for next season alone. And then he'll go to his qualifying offer if that's picked up by the Pacers or whichever team he plays for, $5 million is a good number to throw in a deal. I mean, when you're talking about guys like Malcolm Brogdon that make 21, um, you know, Miles Turner makes around 18, um, those sorts of players, um, TJ McConnell even at nine, like you, you can cobble together some salaries to make that into the teens, early 20s, mid 20s sort of salary and take back a bad contract in order to move up in the draft or, you know, take on, uh, a guy that a team has no intention of playing this season uh, and into next year. You can take on, say, a two-year, $5 million a year deal to give a team cap space ahead of time and try and take on a draft asset or move up in the draft and, and look, a, look after a team that way. We've said so many times the Pacers are not going to draw large name free agents. That's not going to happen. They're going to have to build through the draft they're going to have to build through trades. They're going to have to build through those conventional ways that you see a team like Memphis build through. They, you know, took a step back to take a couple of steps forward and the Pacers are in a perfect position to do that. And, and contracts like Goga's, you know, are a gold at that point. He has one year left. 
you know, there will be a team that signed a player to a poor longer-term deal that wants to get off that longer-term deal and wants to move up. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about a team like New York that is paying um, Evan Fournier crazy money over the next three seasons. And I'm sort of looking at it and thinking, if they got ahead of us in the lottery and all of a sudden they have the third pick and we have the fifth pick or something of that nature, you sort of look at it and think to yourself, well, Evan Fournier is going to make 18 million, then 18.8, then 19 million for the next three seasons. Is Jaden Ivey worth moving up from five to three and taking on that salary? And even if Evan Fournier won't be your first choice shooting guard on this team and will play off the bench on a big, big number. I mean, you look at it, Jaden Ivey would be making the third pick about $10 million a year, $9 million a year. So effectively, you're paying effectively $27 million a year and you're moving up those couple of extra spots in the draft. I mean, when you look at the Brogdons of the world at $21 million and he's only got two years left or three, he's also got three years left. I mean, that could be an upgrade for New York. That could be a way for them to move up um, you know, in the short term with the team that they have. They don't really have a team that's ready to receive another young player. They have an older roster. So they they kind of want to win at this point. Um, and they've tied up a lot of money in Julius Randle. They're about to tie up a lot of money in RJ Barrett, potentially in the offseason if they can't gain access to an all-star player. So, you know, you have to look at those teams that are kind of stumped by the salary cap and have made poor decisions and try and capitalize on that poor decision if you your lottery balls don't fall the right way. And the Pacers are in a perfect position to do that, right? Like we, I think we're like one of four teams in the highest cap space range this offseason. So look, if the Pacers want to take on a bad contract or multiple bad contracts, sign me up. I mean, Rubio's coming off the books. Don't have to yep. worry about it, right? That's the type of deal that the Pacers can move. And a lot of rebuilding teams do that. Um, again, like, yeah, getting Evan Fournier is not great. It's not ideal. But if it gets you a higher pick, you do that every day of the week. Well, yeah, you've got to look at what you've got coming back in. And as long as you don't plan to play Evan Fournier 35 minutes a game, as long as you plan to give him a role in the offense, but not the role in the offense, then, you know, you you can move up. As I said, in that scenario, we're currently picking fifth. Maybe we a team jumps us and move up to third. We move down to sixth. Could we take on really bad salary and get the player that we want? Now, whether that's Jaden Ivey or not, that's probably another conversation and we can have that because there was a lot of talk that Indiana scouts were at Jaden Ivey's game recently. So it doesn't surprise you to know that they were at the game of a guy that's projected to be picked in the top five of this draft. What is interesting is that from afar, we're, we're Aussies, we're on the other side of the world, but the Pacers have had this fascination seemingly with guys that play in the state of Indiana and Indiana loves college basketball clearly now we love Jaden Ivey as well so this is kind of a perfect world scenario for us because Alex you've been on the Jaden Ivey train for months ever since I saw YouTube highlights of the guy falling in love with him I watch YouTube got highlights of Ivey all the time always look at his stat lines always look at you know at how Purdue were going so this is perfect because it gives us that dynamic you know athletic uh, threat guard that we've needed for umpteen years that we've never ever had in Indiana we've never ever had a guard that is explosive to this point and young and on a rookie deal 
and able to do it all offensively and showing so much potential, particularly in a league where Ja Morant's just kind of taking the lead by storm this year. And J- Jaden Ivey has been compared to, or is a, you know, a lesser version of what Ja Morant was when he came into the league, which is high praise. But, you know, you look at a guy like Jaden Ivey and you have to kind of be happy with the fact that just so happens he plays college in Indiana. And boy, he was born and raised in Indiana. He went to high school in Indiana, stayed in college in Indiana. I mean, this is thinking years ahead. This is a useless conversation, but we can't, we, we struggle to keep stars, right? Like we struggle yeah. to keep free agents. So the fact that he likes Indiana and lives here, oh, I shouldn't say here, I'm not in Indiana, but uh, lives in the state is, is massive. But I think most importantly is uh, it's pace, right? Like I think this is a good, good segue into our next topic, which is the backcourt is struggling right yeah. now, guys. Like, Brogdon and Halliburton, the on and off numbers are alarming to say the least. And it's a smallish sample size, but I think it's big enough where you go, wow, like these numbers are popping out at you because Halliburton looks 10 million times better without I've, Brogdon. I've got him here. Let me let me just outline this. So this is from Reddit. So this is probably like 90% true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there have been seven games where Tyrese Halliburton has played without Malcolm Brogdon. In those seven games, he's averaged 21 points, four rebounds, 10 assists, 2.1 steals, 50% from the field, 47% from three, nearly 48, 88% from the line, 14 field goals attempted, which has to be first in the team. Um, With Malcolm Brogdon, Tyrese Halliburton goes down from 21.4 points to 14.9 points per game. So 21 down to 15, it's a six-point difference. 3.9 3.9 up to 4.6 rebounds, neither here nor there, no one cares. 10.4 assists down to 8.5, so he's not able to distribute the ball as much. He's obviously getting the ball out of his hands, into Brogdon's hands. Brogdon is looking for his own offense more, which is fair enough because Brogdon, you know, is, is a, has been our lead guard when he's been healthy for you know, 50% of the time over the last three years. Now, 1.9 seals, that's a wash. The percentages are so... So interesting to me because the field goal percentage is only going down from 50 to 48. That's that's kind of nothing. But 47% from three down to 33% from three. Now that that goes down from elite to lower than the league average. Now, um, the free throw percentage, I mean, this is eight games. This is this is a tenth of the season. So this is a reasonably decent sample size for the time that we've had Tyrese. 88% without Malcolm Brogdon, 72.7% with Malcolm Brogdon on the floor. How is he making 16% less of his free throws when Brogdon is out there? That seems a little crazy to me. I mean, he goes down from nearly seven three points attempted per game to just over five and a half. He goes down from nearly four free throws attempted to three. So, you know, he's getting to the line less. He's He's taking less threes. He's making less threes. He, you know, I think we see this time and time again, Alex, in basketball, which is if you've got an, a battle over who the lead guy is, then both guys tend to either both will take a step back or one will take a step back in order to advance the other. Now, that's a selfless act. Tyrese Halliburton strikes me as a selfless player. Um, this is not the plan. This can't be the plan for this team. Tyrese Halliburton is the future of this franchise for the next 10 plus years. 
Malcolm Brogdon has three years left on his contract. And I think if this continues and if they're, they're not given an opportunity to gel in the off season, or if for some reason they don't gel as well in the off season. And most importantly, if Malcolm Brogdon does not concede and confirm that Tyrese Halliburton is the franchise player on the Indiana Pacers, then Malcolm Brogdon no longer fits with what the Indiana Pacers are trying to build. And I like Malcolm Brogdon, have Malcolm Brogdon jersey, want to see Malcolm Brogdon do well. However, it will have to be with another franchise because he cannot stay with the Pacers, Alex, if he is impacting Tyrese Halliburton's, both his development and his impact on the Indiana Pacers game by game to this degree. It it just can't happen. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools or march long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. It's really similar to the Sacramento situation, right? Because you look at that backcourt in Sacramento with Halliburton and Fox and they were both putting up so much better numbers separate, right? Like Fox is balling out now uh, and Halliburton was playing so much better without De'Aaron Fox on the Kings. That was part of the reason why they make that trade, right? So I think if you're the Pacers, you have to look at that and be like, okay, there's a reason that got done. And then more to the point, I mean, look, Brogdon, is eight years, no, seven years older, I believe, than, yeah. than Halliburton. That's a big thing, right? Like, especially when you're trying to build around a young group of guys. And he also misses 30 plus percent of games a season. You, you It's just too many, man. Like, it, a lot, again, I think Malcolm's a good basketball player. Whatever team he goes to, if he does get traded, I hope he balls out. But on the paces, it just doesn't make sense at this point. Uh, you, you're taking too much away from, from your lead guard. And look... <laughs> Again, you, you can't be paying a guy $21, $22 million to miss half the season. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, look, you can you can say that the injuries were all incidental or, you know, they were different parts of the body and, uh, you know, they were uh, could be explained away, I guess. But the fact is that, that Brogdon has been unreliable from a health standpoint and, that isn't necessarily fair on him. I'm sure he hasn't done anything to make him unreliable, but it's the facts, right? It's it's the reality of how many games he's missed. Um, and it's now been consistent across his career in Milwaukee and now in Indiana. And, you know, but you can even push all of that to the side and just focus on fit, just focus on what this franchise wants to do moving forward and what fits in well with that plan. And right now, Malcolm Brogdon does not fit in well with that plan. He just doesn't. Like, he's just the completely different player to the player that they need beside Tyrese Halliburton. He's, you know, he 
he's clearly impacting on Halliburton's ability to be able to run this team, which is clearly what they want Halliburton to do and clearly Halliburton's strength. I mean, at different points in his career, Halliburton's been compared to Brogdon at different different times due to his efficiency from the line and the field and the three-point three, three point line, you know, the, the pace that he plays with at times and I guess the the ability that he has to, to kind of be a complementary player in Sacramento. Now, the Indiana Pacers did not trade for Tyrese Halliburton for him to be a complementary player. They traded for Tyrese Halliburton for him to be an all-star. And the only way for Tyrese Halliburton to be an all-star is if he gets the ball in his hands almost all of the time. And, you know, you can talk about drafting a Jaden Ivey and then having two league guards on your team or two guards that want the ball on your team. But Ivey's proven that he can play off the ball as well. Brogdon uh, doesn't necessarily come, the role doesn't necessarily come naturally to him. He wants to be a point guard. He wants to be the lead guard in a team. He wants to have the ball in his hands. You can see that whenever you watch the Pacers play and whenever, regardless of whether Halliburton's on the floor or not. So this is not a good fit moving forward. I think the age is not a good fit because they're at different points in their career. Brogdon needs to be on a team that's competing for a championship right now. The Pacers are not going to do that this year. They're not going to do it next year. They may do it the year after that, depending on how good their draft pick plays uh, and depending on how good they are at getting complementary pieces around those guys that are on reasonable deals and then they can make a good run at it. We've seen teams do this. We've seen the, the Memphises of the world and the Denvers of the world draft good young players or trade for good young players on draft night and then build that over a two, three, four year period of time. I mean, you've seen it with, you know, Jokic followed by Murray, followed by Porter Jr. Uh, You've seen it in Utah. They already had Gobert, then they drafted Mitchell. And all of a sudden um, they jumped up the standings pretty dramatically because they had a guy that could, you know, win games for them in crunch time. You've seen it with Memphis. They completely reset. And then they got a bunch of young kids, waited a couple of years for them to come on, drafted a few more, um, but still competed the whole way. Like the Memphis stuff has to be the blueprint for Kevin Pritchard moving forward. Draft a really, really good young kid, pairing with another really, really good young kid, and then wait a couple of years for them to gel together and to win together. And now it's paying off for Memphis. Like they've made some smart deals along the way and they could very well win a playoff series or more this season. That's got to be the aim. Um, Phoenix got lucky because they were able to get Chris Paul. I don't think Indiana can follow that model because I don't think Indiana can get a veteran all-star player. Um, although they did get Chris Paul for quite a good trade number in terms of what they paid to get Chris Paul. But I mean, Alex, if I was to look at a Denver over multiple drafts, kind of drafting late and then, you know, always around the mid middle part of the round and being able to, to tool up with a few really, really good young guys. Uh, and then I look at a Memphis who drafted the high end of the first round and then kind of plateaued that into a few good players. Those have got to be the blueprints for Kevin Pritchard here as they look to retool over a one to two year period. Mm, absolutely. And I, I think Memphis is one is important because I've seen some fans talk about, oh, this team's not close to the playoffs. Like, yeah, they're not. That's fine. Like, Rebuilding doesn't happen overnight. I need to stress that to fans. Uh, Memphis got the fourth pick, took Jaron Jackson. They were a losing team that year. Get the four, uh, what did they get? The second pick the next year? Yep. Guess what? Yeah. They were a losing team again, even with Morant winning. Uh, did he win rookie of the year? What did he come second? Yeah, he won. Um, yeah, yeah. so two years in a row, they were losing record after getting top four picks, right? Like it, it doesn't happen in one season. It doesn't happen overnight. Philly took years. 
Phoenix were rebuilding for about a decade before they got Chris Paul. So it, it takes a long time. I don't think it will take that long for no. the paces, but you know, this this talk of a soft rebuild and making the playoffs next year, look, it, it might happen. It very well might happen, but yeah, I think it's important to stress patience to fans. And look, none of us have experienced this, right? Like we have not experienced a bottoming out paces team. And I get the frustrations, right? Like we're seeing that a little bit with the fan base now, but yeah, just just got to stay patient, stay the course. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, we, it'd be really interesting to see what they would do with the roster this summer. We will continue to bring you uh, some intel on some draft picks. We'll start to watch a little bit more in terms of uh, draft prospect highlights and analysis and that sort of stuff and have some opinions on who we like, who we don't like and, and the like. The lottery is is coming up in, you know, about probably six to eight weeks time. And that's uh, until then, it's just going to be, I guess, a bit of a season in review as well as who we like from the tournament and uh, who we could potentially steal with that Houston pick. Should we keep it in the second round? Because that's a really interesting prospect as well to not only have one at the very top end, but also potentially have the guy that slips, the guy that slips out of that first round. So the good, uh, exciting part about this draft analysis uh, that we're going to be doing over the next couple of months is that we can focus on every single part of the draft. Um, And I will be commentating some New Zealand breakers games over the next few weeks. They have two draft prospects, both from France, Usman Jeng and Hugo Besson, who are both projected to go in the second round. So I'll keep looking at those guys um, and I will come back to you with some reports on what they're good at, what they're not so good at, and uh, give you some firsthand accounts because uh, I don't think the Pacers can get any scouts to their game, so I'm volunteering on their behalf to be their scout. We've been the Pacers. We'll catch you again next time.